0: Uh, we've been journeying through john uh, together for a little bit now as a church and so last week we had uh, the start of john 2 so jesus uh, at the wedding Uh, so last week i guess we had the jesus we'd all want to be our best friend the one who gives us free delicious wine and this week cleansing the temple we have the jesus who drives everyone out of the temple with a whip Uh, but it's all good stuff it's all a wonderful jesus Uh, but well done for charlie for getting the better straw and getting to preach the happy jesus message uh, as we uh, come to see uh, this passage of Jesus cleansing the temple, uh, I want to just uh, take you uh, back um, to what you may have experienced uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, so a couple of years ago, uh, for many, uh, the time when lockdown first started, um, for, for many, when I say probably for those without small children, uh, it was a time where many people started new hobbies, discovered new interests, and had more time on their hands one hobby that I, or interest that I discovered was I really enjoy watching Homes Under the Hammer. Uh, and so there'd be, there'd be many times if I was free uh, late morning, uh, I would come into the living room and my mum would be there doing things that my mum enjoys doing. Um, so she'd be on property websites looking for ridiculous properties. She'd be nagging me about not doing enough work at school even though I finished six years ago. Uh, and she would also uh, be ready to watch Homes Under the Hammer. Uh, The premise, if you haven't uh, had the joy of watching it yet, is that somebody will go to an auction, uh, they will buy a property, uh, hence hammer, uh, and then they will go uh, see the property, if they haven't seen it already, Uh, they'll see what needs to be done, Uh, they'll do some renovation work, hence hammer again, and then eventually the house will be all nice and ready and they'll put it up for sale or they'll put it out to rent. The process they go through uh, from what I could see, was they had arrived, they would see the property, and the first step would be to assess the state of things, to assess the damage, really, as many of them would be pretty dilapidated. The second step they would have to do would be to remove the damage, remove the dilapidation or whatever other problems the property had. And the third step would be to remake or renovate or rebuild the place better than it had been before. As we come to our passage of Jesus cleansing the temple in John 2, we see that exact same process undertaken by Jesus. Jesus arrives at the temple to assess the damage, see what the issue is. He removes the damage and then he remakes the place better than it was before. To start with, Jesus assesses the damage. So from verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. I'll just pause there for a moment. Jesus came and did this assessment in person. God has always been able to see what was going on with his people. He had always known the sinful nature of their hearts. He had always been able to see from afar that they were really not living as God had called them to live. He had been able to see the issues that were going on in the temple. But you didn't stay and just do his damage assessment from afar. We have Jesus, fully God and fully human, arriving on the scene to visit the temple in person. Then from verse 14. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Uh, So uh, the the deal uh, was that as people came to the temple, they would come to the temple to offer sacrifices. And so uh, those sacrifices might involve uh, oxen or sheep or pigeons uh, and all manner of other things. They would also be required to give a temple tax. Uh, That tax had to be paid in a specific coin. Uh, but particularly at Passover, people would come towards the temple in Jerusalem from all across the Roman Empire. Uh, so they would have had their native coins, and they would have had to come to the uh, temple, uh, not being able to give the temple tax, and the native coins they would have to change uh, into the special temple coin. As people would have been traveling from afar, it would have been a whole lot of work as well for them to get their animals that they wanted to sacrifice and bring them on the journey. So even Jesus' journey to the temple here would have taken him a few days, uh, which is an issue and a a challenge in and of itself, Uh, but to bring a whole cart of animals would make it even harder. Originally, uh, a few years before this, the animals and the money changers wouldn't have sat right in the temple as they do in this story. Uh, They would have been around the Mount of Olives about three kilometers from the temple. So you take your journey to Jerusalem, You acquire the animals and the temple coins that you need to worship God properly to make your sacrifices to him. And then you go to the temple and you worship. But over time what's happened is those stalls that sold animals and exchanged money had moved from the Mount of Olives all the way in to the temple courts. And so now in the outer court of the temple, as Jesus calls it, it's become a place of trade. Or it has become a marketplace. Uh, There's a picture uh, on the screen that kind of represents the temple. uh, Just to point out what this would have looked like. Uh, You don't need to be able to see uh, all the little words. um, But you have that huge big temple. There's a scale at the bottom. So this temple uh, thing is is enormous. And you have that uh, bit in the center. uh, Which would have been uh, the inner courts. In there, only Jews could go. And surrounding it, uh, you have what is labeled the Gentiles' courtyard. So anybody was welcome to come and enter the Gentiles' courtyard. And there was a system uh, of exclusion the closer to the center you got. Uh, So Jews could enter the inner courts, and then women, and then lepers would have been excluded, and then uh, some men would have been excluded if they weren't a priest, and so forth. And to get really into the innermost place in the temple, only the high priest could go there. So if you were a Gentile who had heard about God, who wanted to come to the temple and worship in whatever way that looked like, very quickly, the only place you're allowed to go in the temple, rather than being a place to pray or to worship, has become a marketplace. It would be like turning up uh, to Union Square on a busy Saturday, attempting to do your worship there. I can take the picture off the screen the Gentiles who may have wanted to worship have been excluded. In place of an area for them to worship God, they are surrounded by busyness and animals, a marketplace. One of the other issues going on, and John doesn't spell it out as clearly as some other uh, of the Gospel writers did, was that within the money changing and the animal system, there was extortion all over the place. Now, if you read, to, to read some Jewish writings of the time, they uh, are woeing at the fact that all the, the priests in the family of Annas, who was the high priest at the time, were ripping off everybody. The prices for changing your money uh, were extortionate. The prices you would have had to pay for animals were excluding so many. If you were a poor person turning up to the temple to worship, there's a good chance you wouldn't have been able to offer any of the sacrifices you wanted to. People had taken the power and the privilege of working as part of uh, the priesthood and taken it and used it for profit. Jesus comes to cleanse the temple, seeing the temple as a place where those who might want to come and worship God are excluded because of who their parents are, because of how poor they may be. If Jesus were to walk in these doors today, I wonder what it is that might make him angry about the way we worship. Uh, Now, just a a note of caution. Uh, We cannot look at temple stories and uh, just directly equate them to the church. There's a whole lot of different things going on. But at the gathering of God's people to worship God's, we can still ask these same questions. As we worship and do life as a family together, who might be excluded? And a good way to figure that out might be to look around uh, this room each Sunday and ask who is missing? Not just names of people we know are sometimes here but are not here today, but throughout our time, what group of people that might be represented in Aberdeen, that might be represented in Colts and Beildsides? who's missing? Now, I, I am fully confident that for anybody, if they walked in these doors, they would receive a warm welcome. And as a church, uh, on the website, on banners and, and everything, we say, you are welcome here. Everyone is welcome to come as they are. But there are still so many Who would be fearful of walking through these doors? I want us to reflect on who is missing from this place. Who's not even been invited? Who have we excluded in our invitation? As we invite people to come to church, we might pick out certain people that we think are most likely to say yes. Might be most interested But in doing so, and not giving that that broader invitation, we're excluding people already. We're saying this place of worship might not actually be for you. Now, I I think uh, in this church, you'd also be uh, hard-pressed to find extortion going on. I don't want us to get uh, too, too proud or complacent about that because we can look across the church uh, today and all throughout history and see a history of uh, people in the church abusing the power of the church to do some awful things. And I look back uh, at some of the context of the Reformation. You have the Catholic church selling indulgences, giving people uh, who, who pay them money tickets to spend less time in purgatory and get to heaven sooner. You can look even just a few weeks ago A huge report was released on the Southern Baptist Church in the States detailing decades of sexual abuse and the mishandling of that. And we live in a world surrounded by people for whom their opinion of the church probably comes mostly from headlines that tell of the wicked things that have been done. People using God for profit and for gain. As we think If Jesus was to come through these doors or to look at the church, what are the problems? What are the damage that he would see? Then Jesus gets on to the stage of removing the damage from verse 15. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Uh, Jesus takes it upon himself on seeing the damage that has infected uh, his people coming to worship God. He makes a whip. He goes and drives them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He goes to the table of the money changers and pours out their money. He tells those selling the pigeons uh, to get themselves and to get the pigeons out of here and stop turning his father's house into a place of trade or a marketplace. He's thorough. He doesn't uh, just give them a warning and hope that they leave. He drives them all out. Obviously, it's just uh, written for us in a simple sentence, but that is, a, that is a long process. There's a lot of animals. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people who would be passionate uh, about being able to stay there and extort the others. But he does it all. He removes all of the damage. Jesus came to remove the, the damage in the temple, the way they had abused what the temple was meant to be about, about worshiping God and inviting uh, all to do that. And he goes to the effort himself of driving them all out. I wonder if we, uh, again, picture Jesus coming uh, through these doors or coming to this city or this nation. And if he were coming to cleanse it and drive out that which was wicked. I wonder maybe there's places in our our minds or people we could imagine and we think, yeah, Jesus better start with them. Yeah, Jesus, if you're coming to cleanse Aberdeen, you better go to town on a Saturday night. There'll be loads of people that need to be cleansed there. Maybe we say you could go uh, to the harbor at nighttime. Maybe we could say, you could, Jesus, you could start in the casinos. Maybe we can just look at people we know and think, hey, Jesus, you better start with them. There's some serious issues going on. And then after uh, doing all that, we might find other places that Jesus needs to go. And then we might begin to kid ourselves that if Jesus were coming to cleanse this city that he wouldn't come through these doors to cleanse us too. We might begin to kid ourselves in thinking that we are so much holier and better than the world around us. That our sins are a little bit less than their sins. But if Jesus were to come to cleanse Aberdeen, he would drive us out too. He would see the wickedness of our own hearts. Whatever that may look like as a body together or as individuals. And he would drive us out because our wickedness betrays the glory of God that he has shown us. Our sin uh, makes us fall short of who God is, rejects him. And so we along with the rest of this world, along uh, with everyone as they gather at the temple, are people in need of Jesus cleansing us. And we might get on our high horse and really wish, okay, Jesus, I don't really need you to cleanse me entirely. I'll do it myself. I recognize I've done some wrong, but I can fix it. I can right all these wrongs. I can try my best. I can be a far better person tomorrow than I was today. We think I can do enough good things that Jesus will finally love me. But as we attempt to cleanse ourselves, all we do is add more dirt onto the heap. Our call from Jesus is not to fix ourselves, but to give all our dirt, our wickedness, and our sin to Jesus. Because his love for us is not dependent on how well we think we are able to cleanse ourselves. His love for us is just based on the fact that he loves us. And in that love for us, he offers uh, and comes all the way from heaven to earth to take our dirt and to take our sin. And he doesn't just do that uh, for those who don't have that much sin, but he does it for all of us. As we thought on how the temple excluded people, uh, those who were poor uh, or those who were not Jewish... We see in Jesus uh, somebody who did not exclude anybody in his coming to earth and in his death. Uh, so, if we, if we picture Jesus uh, potentially on a, on a journey uh, to earth, we don't see him land in the, uh, the heart of Rome, one of the, the most powerful places in the world. Even him coming to uh, Israel, we don't see him uh, land up with the kings. We don't see him alongside those in high society. We see a Jesus come to be born to poor people, born in a stable. Coming all the way from the riches of heaven to the slums of the earth. And in doing so, saying that all, all have been come for by Jesus. That all are included in the mission of why Jesus came to die and to save us that all are welcome to bring their dirt and their sin to Jesus. Jesus who takes the punishment for that dirt and that sin upon himself on the cross, a place we deserve to be, and yet he chooses to go for us out of love for us. The third step Jesus takes is to remake and rebuild the place better than before. So look at verse 18. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has been 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus' rebuilding process was not just sprucing the place up, but it was to completely destroy it and raise it again. And they got confused as they heard. Uh, They thought he was just talking about the physical temple that he stood in. Uh, That temple wouldn't actually be finished until about 30 years after Jesus died, and then it was destroyed just eight years after that. But their whole uh, hope was that this temple would be the most glorious uh, thing around, and this would be the only place to worship God. And Jesus said he's going to destroy it. This place where God was said to dwell, Jesus promises to destroy. But he doesn't uh, make it a promise to destroy it, to remove the presence of God, but to make sure they are aware and they can see that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. And that it is him who would be raised. As one theologian uh, calls it then. That that Christ is the temple. And all men are commanded to come to him in order to worship and serve the one true God. That this temple. The place where you came to worship God replaced by Jesus. So that there is no journey to Jerusalem. There is no exclusion based on heritage or poverty. But there is inclusion and welcome and invitation for all to come and worship Jesus. It's an invitation that Jesus gives himself to an outcast in John chapter 4. If you have a, a Bible, please just flick over the page and we read verses 20 to 24. Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman and we'll get there in a few weeks. A woman that would have been looked down on by all of society, certainly excluded from the privilege of getting to worship God. And this is how the conversation goes. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus is rebuilding the temple better than before, not a place of exclusion, but a place for all to come and to worship him in spirit and truth a place where he has invited us as we gather today, worshiping in this building, yes, but hopefully worshiping as a body with our whole lives, worshiping him in spirit and truth. And this, uh, this Jesus, as the temple, as the one who was raised again, is a person unlike this temple, who is incorruptible and everlasting. That temple uh, took them years and years to build. Eight years after they finished it, completely destroyed. That temple open uh, to abuse from those who abused it, to extort money or to exclude others. Yet we worship uh, Jesus who stands in all righteousness, in all glory, in all perfection. We stand to worship him. And that is something that can never be taken away from us. If lockdown or whatever else would forbid us from coming to church. If the world would seem to rise up against us. If so many uh, travesties would come into our lives. If all of our, uh, all of our hearts were sad and our, it was so difficult um, to, to get out of bed or to come to church or whatever it is. Regardless of what may happen. We can worship Jesus and he will always stand ready to receive our worship with open arms and he invites us in but then we might wonder if Jesus drove those out in the temple and if we accept that Jesus would have to drive us out too because of our sin how then can we say that we are to worship God with our whole lives we can say we can uh, come to worship Jesus because he has made us holy. He has taken us from being sinners to make us holy in him, not by just sprucing us up, but completely changing us, by giving us a new heart as we are raised to new life, as giving us his perfect righteousness, that we come, we get to uh, approach the, the throne of grace, as it were, with full boldness and confidence, knowing that Jesus has made us his children, Holy and ready to worship him. And as we gather and worship this morning. As we worship him with our whole lives. We are also doing so looking forward to a glorious hope yet to come. And we'll close uh, with these words from Revelation 21 verses 22 to 27. uh, Written by John the same guy who wrote uh, the book of John. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that so great was your care for your people, that you sent your son Jesus all the way to earth. That he came and saw the wickedness of the world, the wickedness of our hearts and our actions. And we thank you that he came to remove all of that. That you have removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And taken it upon your son Jesus as he died on the cross. And Lord, we thank you that today and forevermore we get to worship Jesus in spirit and truth that you have invited us in. And Lord, we pray that we will invite all others to join, to point them towards the glory of your son, Jesus. Amen.